0: Greetings, New Life Church family. We are going to worship the Lord today. That's what we're going to do. Would you join us? Would you sing wherever you are? From the book of Colossians, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Thank you, God, that you hold all things together. We declare that, we proclaim that, that you hold all things of God. You're before all things of God. You reign. For us, resurrection life cannot be stopped. It's who you are; it's what you do. And we praise you, God, for who you are. We want our worship to be pure, so we bring our surrender and our pure exaltation. Every voice now singing, we want to give pure exaltation. Your exaltation. Open the heavens. Oh, receive the Lord. receive what is yours, Jesus. You receive what is yours. Oh, into life.
1: several hundred miles away when he heard about the church in Galatia that was under duress and he wrote them a letter and he says to them in Galatians 6 verses 9 and 10 he says let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up church it's not a time to give up do not grow weary in doing good For in the end, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Brothers and sisters, I'm just here to tell you, at the beginning of this moment, we are going to take care of each other as a church. We're going to stand with one another. We're going to fight for one another. We're going to take care of one another. I heard from a business owner here in the church today. He called me. And he said, I'm, I'm gonna go without a paycheck this month so that I can pay my employees. And he said, yesterday, a friend from the church walked into my store. He called me ahead and he said, are you at the store? He said, he walked in my store and he gave me $500. And he said, you're gonna make it, brother. Church, we know how to take care of one another in these times. And I'm here to tell you, do not grow weary. Stand and be firm. God will take care of us. The church has been here before. And so what I, what I wanna encourage you with is to continue to be faithful in your giving as you're able to give. We know where the needs are in this church. We're taking care of elderly people. We're giving groceries away. We're helping single moms with children and childcare. Church, we're gonna take care of one another. And so as we give, let's, let's stand with Paul's words here. Let's give especially to those who are of the household of believers. Let's pray as we give today. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're the God who is our provider. We thank you that we have the strength by your spirit to stand firm in this time, to not grow weary, to not back down, to not cower, to not be afraid. Lord, thank you that you're empowering us today by your spirit to be strong and to stand firm. And Lord, we give these gifts. And we pray for everyone who's hurting, everyone who's in in trouble, everyone who's under duress. We pray that all their needs would be met and all their desires would be granted. We pray that you would be the provider for your people today. So we give by faith and we pray that you would take these gifts and use them to strengthen the weary, to encourage those who are downcast. Lord, use these gifts for your glory, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's continue to worship as we give. Jesus, 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 singing, Jesus,
0: name above all names, beautiful Savior, sing in the name of Jesus, let it be on our lips all day long, all week long thank you Jesus okay friends, okay family grab your Bibles, grab your notebooks Pastor Glenn is going to open up the Word, teach us the scriptures today
2: New Life Church, it's amazing to think of all of you gathering all throughout the city in your homes, apartments, maybe with roommates or family or friends, all of you together from all of our different congregations, New Life Friday night, New Life North, New Life downtown, New Life East, New Life Manitou, Nueva Vida, Chinese church, all of us scattered throughout the city, yet somehow connected through technology, but more importantly, united In one Holy Spirit, worshiping the Lord together. As Pastor Brady said, we didn't know when we were planning the series, Faith in the Wilderness, that we were going to find ourselves in this moment. And it's kind of got us thinking because we have a series this fall in the book of Revelation and the end times. And now maybe we're wondering if we should postpone that a little bit. But here we are, week three of the series, Faith in the Wilderness. And the wilderness is an apt metaphor for this moment. When you think about a wilderness... Uh, Particularly the way the desert or the wilderness is used in the scriptures. The wilderness is at least several things. It speaks to us a little bit of an in-between place. The wilderness is that moment, that season where you're not where you once were, but you're not yet where you want to be. It's an in-between moment. And that's where many of us find ourselves. Overnight, it seems like our world changed. And we don't know what's coming and we don't know what's ahead. We're not yet where we want to be. The wilderness is also a place of uncertainty where there's so much that's unknown. We don't want to live in fear, but we want to be wise and loving and sober-minded. And yet, the path is unclear. The wilderness can also be a place of scarcity. There's not an abundance of resources, maybe a place where things have dried up. And we can laugh about some of this. We can laugh about visiting the grocery store and not being able to get ramen noodles or toilet paper. But there's aspects of this that is really not so funny for many of us. A place of scarcity is indeed where many of our local small business owners find themselves, where many of you who are depending on hourly wage and all all of a sudden find yourself uh, unable to come in and work and to keep earning a living. And so a place of scarcity is an apt description maybe for where you find yourself today. And the question that rises for us is what kind of person will we become in the wilderness? What kind of person will we become in this moment of in-betweenness, of uncertainty, of scarcity? But maybe more importantly, what kind of God will we find in the wilderness? What kind of God will we find? So I want to talk to you this, this weekend about kindness in the desert. If you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to Exodus 17 or you can follow along on the screen. But in Exodus 17, verses 1 through 3, it says this The whole Israelite community broke camp and set out from the Sin Desert. Now, don't read too much into it, it's just the name of the desert. To continue their journey as the Lord commanded. And they set up their camp at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. And the people argued with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses answered, Moses said to them, Why are you arguing with me? Why are you testing the Lord? But the people were very thirsty for water there, and so they complained to Moses even more, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us, to kill our children, and to kill our livestock with thirst? I want to say two things to you about what the wilderness does. And the first is this, in the wilderness... Our weakness is exposed. Our weakness is exposed. I, I'm not a super fan of long road trips. I didn't grow up taking long road trips, and uh, it, to this day, you know, I'm hesitant when it involves driving more than three or four hours. But we've done it. We've driven uh, to my in-laws in Iowa. We've driven to Oklahoma. We've driven to Arkansas. But even those trips that are 10 to 12 hours long, they're just long enough with kids that everyone's weakness gets exposed, and it's in those long road trips where all of a sudden our six-year-olds or seven-year-olds or kids usually around that age begin to imagine that they are going to die if they don't stop at the next Wendy's or Burger King or whatever, or if we don't make it to another gas station. They're not worried about fuel in the tank. They're worried about going to just explode if they don't make it to the restroom on time. In the wilderness, though, it almost seems like all of us become like little kids. Uh, Kids, if you're watching this, you know your parents, they're they're not a whole lot better than you in this moment. It's just that they share their feelings on Facebook. (laughs) But in the wilderness, we all sort of get exposed in this moment of fragility and weakness. The text that we read last week, Exodus 16, actually shows another moment of this. Exodus 16, verses 2 to 3. The whole Israelite community complained against Moses and Aaron in the desert. And then they said, oh, how we wish that the Lord had just put us to death. In Egypt, because there we could sit by the pots cooking meat and eating our fill of bread instead, you've brought us out into this desert to starve the whole assembly to death. There is a kind of weakness of mind that's going on here. They remembered what was false and forgot what was true. You see, in the ancient world, slaves very rarely had meat. What are they thinking about when they say, oh, in Egypt, we had all kinds of pots, lots of pots, big pots, all kinds of meat. Moses must have been thinking, "Are you cr- what meat are you talking about? There's a kind of weakness of mind that comes over us in these moments of testing where we remember what is false and forget what is true. Isn't it interesting that now they've become convinced that God is going to kill them? This is the God that in recent memory is the one who parted the Red Sea for them. This is the God that went to great, extraordinary lengths to rescue them. Now they think he's going to kill them? They remembered what was false, meat, in Egypt, and they forgot what was true. God is not against you. God is not trying to kill you here. This is the God who rescued you. Listen, in these moments, these moments that we find ourselves in, there is a tremendous amount of fear we've talked about that but there's also a tremendous amount of grief and sadness uh, many of you find yourself having to scramble to remake plans for graduations and weddings and big birthday parties maybe family vacations spring break trips some of you have kids that your their whole senior year has been rearranged now youth sports have been canceled big tournaments all the activities that you were looking forward to and there's a tremendous amount of grief. Friends, I want to say to you, God is okay with your lament. God understands the grief that you feel in your heart. But there is a difference between Israel lamenting in the Psalms and Israel complaining in the wilderness. And here's the difference. In the Psalms, a lament, a lament is when people bring their appeal to God based on confidence in his character. They say, God, I'm appealing to you because I know you're good. I know you care. They're appealing to God on the basis of confidence in his character. But a complaint, a complaint is an attack against God. It's an accusation against God and actually maligns his character. Israel in the wilderness, they're not lamenting. They're not just venting grief and sadness. They have switched over into complaint where they are now attacking God's character. You want to kill us. You're all of a sudden the monster God, not the deliverer God. There's another way that our weakness gets exposed in the wilderness. Verse 2 of Exodus 17, it says, The people argued with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why are you arguing with me? Why are you testing the Lord? This Hebrew word for testing shows up a number of times in the Old Testament. Ten times it shows up about God testing Israel. And repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, they refer back to this wilderness season, and it says, And God is saying, I was testing you. But nine times this word testing is used of Israel testing God. They are trying to flip the tables. And all nine of those times actually is about this very scene here in Exodus 17. So there's a weakness of mind, but there's also really a weakness of faith. A weakness of faith there. Verse 7, it says, He called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites argued with and tested the Lord, asking, Is the Lord really with us or not? See, a weakness of faith looks like testing God, making him prove that he's really with us. God, you say you're with us, but I need to know. And really, the dangerous ground that we cross over into is when we want God to prove himself on our terms. God, I need you to prove it to me this way. God, I know all that stuff about the cross, and I know that's a sweet little Bible story, but, but I need you to prove it like this, specifically for me. C.S. Lewis, decades ago, was writing about how to share the gospel with the men that he served with in the army. And he said what he, what he discovered is that the surrounding that he was in, there were people who had actually reversed the roles. And Lewis writes this, he said, the ancient man approached God or even the gods as the accused person approaches his judge. But the modern man reverses the roles. For the modern man, the roles are reversed. He is the judge and God is in the dock, meaning God is the defendant. And he says, the man is quite a kindly judge. If God should have a reasonable defense... For being the God who permits war or poverty or disease, he's ready to listen to it. I'll hear you out, God. Let's see if you have a reasonable defense. The trial may even end in God's acquittal, Lewis says. But the important thing is that man is on the bench, the judge's seat, and God is in the dock. How often have we found ourselves reversing the roles here? Instead of this being a season where God is testing us and making us pure, we're saying, hang on, I'm going to put God on trial. I'm going to test him and so, say, God, you better prove yourself to me in just the way that I want. This is not the person that we want to become in the wilderness. But Now the question is, what kind of God do we find? What kind of God do we find when we are at our weakest and our worst? When we can't help it, when we've just been broken down, when we're bone weary and we've sobbed tears until we can't cry anymore, when we don't understand and we have no answers and we can't solve or change or control or manipulate, what do we do? What kind of God do we find when we are at our weakest and our worst? Exodus 17, verse 4, so Moses cried out to the Lord. He doesn't know. What should I do with these people? They're getting ready to stone me. Verse 5, the Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of Israel's elders with you. Take some of the people that have been around a long time. Take some of the people who don't have such a short memory, who understand the faithfulness of God. Take in your hand the shepherd's rod that you used to strike the Nile River. You know, the rod that I used to deliver the people. Go, and I'll be standing there in front of you at the rock at Horeb. Hit the rock, water will come out of it, and the people will be able to drink. And Moses did so while Israel's elders watched. What kind of God do we find when we are at our weakest and our worst? In the wilderness, God's kindness is revealed. Yeah, in the wilderness, our weakness is exposed. But in the wilderness, God's kindness is revealed, revealed to them. Even when they tested God, he responds by quenching their thirst. It reminds me of what the prophet Hosea would say looking back at this moment. He said, God drew Israel into the wilderness to speak tenderly to her. What an image. In the wilderness, God dealing tenderly with us. Church, this is a God who looks beyond our sin to our need. He doesn't say, oh, sorry, 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 I have to disallow that prayer. You've crossed over in the technicality. You blurred the lines between lament and complaint. No, can't hear it. I will not hear it. This is a God who even in our worst, he looks beyond our sin, deeper down and says, what's really going on here? What's the need that you have? What's making you act in this way? At bedtime, I sometimes wonder that about my kids. What is making you act this way? And at my worst moments as a dad, I'm not able to look past their uh, repeated defiance or disobedience. It never happens. Not, Not my kids, not my kids. I've heard stories. But my wife in those moments is able to say, hang on, what is it they really need? This, I think, is what the love of God looks like. This is what tenderness in the wilderness looks like. God looking beyond our sin to our place of need. The Apostle Paul reflecting back on this monumental season in Israel's life, says this to the church in Corinth. He says, brothers and sisters, I want you to be sure of the fact that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all went through the sea. All were baptized in Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from a spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock, Paul says, was Christ. Hang on a minute. The rock was Jesus? Jesus. Jesus is the rock who was struck and grace flowed out for us. You see, Jesus relives this moment in Israel's story. Jesus goes into the wilderness, is led into the wilderness by the spirit of God. And when the enemy tempts him and says, turn, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus, quoting from Deuteronomy, reflecting back on this season in Israel's history, Jesus says, you shall not tempt or test the Lord your God. Not only does Jesus, as the faithful Israelite, pass the test that Israel didn't, Jesus would then go to Calvary and be the God that we want to put on trial. Jesus becomes the God who allows himself to be put on the defendant's seat. Jesus was put on trial and found guilty. Guilty of breaking the Sabbath. Guilty of associating with sinners. Guilty of blaspheming God. Guilty of not being the Messiah that we wanted him to be. If you are the son of God... Why don't you call angels? We tested him, and he was tender with us. We struck him, and he quenched our thirst. We put him on trial, and he died for us. This is the kindness of God. This is the merciful tenderness of God. The people of Israel wonder, they say, is the Lord really with us or not? Friends, I want you in the moment of your weakness, in the moment of your wilderness, to lift your eyes a little higher than this wasteland and to behold the cross. Is the Lord really with us? And you look up at the cross and you say, you hear God Echoing, thundering back forever and always, his answer to all humanity, yes, yes, yes. God with us is not just the song that we sing or the phrase that we say on Christmas morning when we're feeling warm and fuzzy. Oh, God with us, it's so great, it's Christmas. God with us is also true in the Garden of Gethsemane. God with us is still true in the darkest hour of Calvary, and God with us is true on the morning of Easter Sunday, God is ever and always with us. And so this moment wherever you find yourself, wherever you're watching this from your phone, your computer, with friends, or family. I want you to think for a moment about the Lord's table. Maybe you're able to in your homes have a moment where you receive communion with one another. Maybe that's not possible. But think about this for a moment. Jesus said, When you do this, do this in remembrance of me. If the wilderness is where we forget what is true and remember what is false, then the Lord's table is where we remember what is true and forget what is false. Forget the lies that echo in your head right now. Forget the lie that says God is against you. God's trying to ruin your business. God's trying to punish you. God's trying to do... Forget those lies. And remember the thing that is true, the thing that we know because of Jesus Christ. God is ever and always with you. Even when we test him, he is tender with us. There is kindness in the desert. Let's bow our heads and pray. So, Father, we thank you You have revealed yourself to us through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are the same God that walked with Israel through the wilderness, the same God that is with us now by the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we open up our hands. We open up our hearts. We ask you to forgive us for the moments where in our weakness we begin to doubt and complain and murmur and accuse. God, we're sorry. And Lord, we ask that your grace would come rushing over us, that you would quench the thirst deep in our souls, quench the thirst deep in our hearts. Jesus, you are the rock from whom living water flows. Come now. Come now and quench our thirst Meet us in our place of sadness or fear, confusion and anger. Meet us in this moment and be our more than enough. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Yes and I know nothing could ever change what you said, I know your promises. Yes and amen, I know nothing could ever change what you said, I know your promises.
3: I'm so grateful that you joined us for this online service. I promise you, we we miss seeing your faces around here. We We cannot wait for us to gather back as a congregation and worship and pray together. We're praying for you every day. I want you to know that. We've made a a big effort here to call every single member of our church, and we started with those who were most vulnerable. So I think everyone over the age of 60 has gotten a phone call, a pastoral conversation, a prayer uh, from part of our team, and we're going to continue doing those things. By the way, that was a fantastic message from Pastor Glenn Packiam. My goodness, that was so good. I hope that encouraged you and strengthened you. Uh, In case you're wondering, if you're just tuning in and getting to know new life church we are seven congregations meeting in five different locations and we speak three different languages and at all those congregations we have teaching teams who help bring the messages every single weekend around the city so most of the time, you're gonna hear me preaching on these live online services, but we have an amazing group of communicators and preachers and teachers who will be helping me. So you'll hear from me, you're gonna hear from Daniel Grothie sometimes, you're gonna hear from Pastor Andrew Arndt, and so that's what's going to happen every weekend. You're gonna hear great worship, we're gonna pray for you, we're gonna encourage you, and you're going to hear a word, a timely word that's gonna inspire your family, it's gonna help you stay steady and grow, even though we can't meet together. All right, I hope you joined us last Wednesday night for our prayer meeting. It was live, and every Wednesday night at 6.30, I want you to come back to this place, this location on the web, uh, Facebook Live, YouTube, or at newlifechurch.org. And every Wednesday night from 6.30 to 7.30, we will be live with you, praying and worshiping, Uh, and so every Wednesday night, make plans to join us, and we'll see you back here next weekend as well for another live online service. God bless you. May your week be filled with peace and strength, and be filled with the Spirit as you go. We'll see you next weekend.